Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. G'day everybody, welcome back to the pod for another week. I'm Matt Walsh here with Jake Michaels and champion dartist Christian Jolly to talk all things footy in a massive grand final week. But Jake, that's not what you want to be talking about because you're the Brownlow man of this podcast. And look, we're going to get this out of the way quickly because there are bigger and more important things to discuss. Because uh, we've got two big re- uh, prelims to recap. We've got the Brownlow, obviously, and, and the look ahead to the big one on Saturday. Uh, surprise Brownlow winner, Lockie Neal. Your model didn't predict it. No, there weren't many that did. I think most had uh, either Nick Dacos or uh, Marcus Bontempelli winning, as we discussed in our um in our uh, episode leading into the to the count, um, but I don't think it was a surprise winner. Um, not in not at all. I mean, I think I I had him fifth, but I had him two votes off the lead. So um, you know, you get well, it was always going to be tight. You said this. Yeah, it was going to yeah. be tight. Trying to pick the winner was always going to be a bit of a risky play, um, and any of those five could have won it, and it was Neil in the end who did. And so I don't think it's a surprise winner, um, and I think it's a. Totally deserved winner. Like he, he should have probably should have won last year. The guy could have three. Some of the some of the commentary around that's that's a bit of a farce. The award and all that. I totally disagree with. <laughs> he's been the number one clearance player of the league. He's a top. He's top five in most most important midfield stats. Um, midfield and he's yes. the best. And he's the best player on a team that might win the grand final. Uh, Christian champion data's model. How did that fare when you line it up with the how the votes fell on the night? Yeah, so again, we didn't predict the winner, but we sort of had him uh, up in the top six. But I'll, the one I'd like to go back to is what we spoke about last week about the premiership. You know, talk about the premiership standards and the Brownlow standards in terms of what stats you need to rank high of. And he ticks all the boxes again. So top uh, five for contested possessions, top five for clearances and uh, centre bounce clearances sort of top 30 for score involvements, and you sort of needed to be top 10 in disposals. He finished 11th in disposals, so just missed out on that. But again, it just sort of stacks up with all the other previous 15 winners that we went through. His his stat profile looked very similar. Uh, so as, as you mentioned, Jake, so if, if Paddy Cripps hadn't had his suspension overturned last year, mm-hmm. he'd have three. But yeah, so a bit of a difficult question, and, I, you know, there's sort of like a, a hesitancy to have the recency bias with things like this because he's still playing. But mm. where does he sit in the pantheon of modern greats? Oh, I think it's impossible to win two Brownlow medals and not be in the class of the of the elite elite greats of the of the modern era. And I think that's where he is. And I still think I said this to you yesterday. I was talking to you on the phone an hour before the Brownlow count started, and I said, "Chewing my ear still- off about." Best and I, bets and all this kind of stuff. And I still think, and this is, as I said, this was yesterday, I still think he is underrated. He's an underrated player. I think I think if you get most people to write down their five or six best players in the league, I think a lot of people aren't putting him on the list. And I, so I do think he's an underrated player still with all his achievements. What he's done since he's gone to Brisbane, in his five, he hasn't completed five seasons yet. He's, fin- he's won two Brownlows, finished second, and then finished third another time. So he's finished on the podium in four of his five seasons. Um, it's an extraordinary amount of consistency. Um, yeah, he's he's comfortably in the handful of best players of the last 10, 15 years. Uh, I don't know if it's the same guy, but shout out to the Frio recruiter. Two dual Brownlow medalists in that sort of era when you talk about Fife and Neil being drafted to that club. Well, when you consider Lockie Neil was pick 58, I think. Um, even, even Nat Fife Nat was... Fife, pick 20, I reckon. Yeah, he wasn't, was he say he wasn't invited the to the, the draft combine? Is that right? Did I heard it at one point last night? Like, that's that's crazy. 
Um, yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's turned himself into a wonderful player. He speaks very well, and yep. as I said, I think he's um, yeah he's a big chance to captain or co-captain a uh, a premiership. Side. All right, let's get through the Brownlow stuff quick. Uh, a few rapid fire Brownlow questions, if you fire them away. The Brownlow should shift to the bye week to ensure the winner is in the Crown Palladium room. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit of a letdown when he's not there. Um, he really wanted to get out of there too. He's like, I got to get to bed, got to get to sleep. It was a Mentioned sad. It, a few it was times. A, the Brisbane. Ta- it was a sad looking table. It was just a few waters, maybe a lemonade <laughs> or something. That was yeah. So look, I, I'm torn on this because I do like for a lot of things. I'm, I, I'm not a big sort of, uh, traditionalist, mm-hmm. but this one. I kind of like it where it is. I kind of like. It'd be nice it to have being, Paddy Cripps give it to him, though. It would have, but I, I think there's something. And look, it doesn't happen often. There's something about having it after the prelims, leading into the grand final week. It's always been the way as as far as my life has been, and I, I like it that way. Uh, after the umpires gave Jason Horn Francis three votes for a thirteen disposal outing, it's time to let the umps look at the stats before they lodge votes. Yeah, that was a wild one. There were a few, a few but the interesting thing is, ones. We got what two hundred games over two hundred games for the season. There's five, six, seven games where you think, oh, geez, that's unbelievable. Yeah, there's going to be five or six, whether the coaches are voting, the umpires are voting, I'm doing my votes, whoever's doing it. There's going to be games where you just pick the wrong players. Like, we make out that the umpires get it wrong every game. And if we, if the umpires are looking at the stat sheet, then there's going to, it's going to go the other way, where they're saying, well, they're just giving it to whoever's had the most disposals. Uh, double barrel question. The night needs to start an hour earlier and the Mark and Goal of the Year awards need to shift to All-Australian night. Yes and yes. Um, don't need, don't know why the first votes weren't read out until close to 8.30, maybe, uh, somewhere Ugh. around then. Yep. Um, and Mark and Goal of the Year. I, I don't know why Mark and Goal of the Year aren't done with when we have the uh, AFL MVP and the Coaches Award and Coleman Medal. Why? I, I think they should just all be on one night and the Brownlow should just be a standalone one award night. That's it. Fair enough. Good stuff. Uh, Brownlow. That was um, that was a good count. You I'm not it normally all? a Brownlow guy, but I was on deck, so I kind of had to you keep an eye on things and, and all that sort of stuff. But did, did you watch it, Christian? No, I watched the first five or six rounds with my son while he was awake, and he was wide. He's right into it. And it took me back to when I was a kid and watching it and just seeing you know all the footy highlights from round one and all the names come mm-hmm. up on screen, all the players sitting in the room. So. It did take me back for a little bit, but no, I just followed the tracker once. once there I got there, to about there 10. is a uh, something I love about it is the fact that it's really the only time of the whole year where you do have all. I mean, aside from the Lions, all the best players in the sport in the same room together. Um, it just you just don't have that. Fair enough. Uh, look, a lot to chat about today. Obviously, the prelims, uh, the grand final coming up as well. But before we crack into the pod this week, Jake, something mm-hmm. you noticed from the weekend of footy. Well, I've noticed it after the two prelims, I reckon. So it doesn't take long these days for the bookmakers to get their odds up for the next game. Um, and obviously, the next game is the grand final. Mm. I was surprised to see the Pies favoured in this game. And they still are. The odds haven't really Top changed. Top of the table, the minor premier. Yep, they were. Um, but aside from the fact that the game is at the MCG, Obviously, it's not going to be the the normal Collingwood crowd, given it is the grand final, mm-hmm. like with all the corporates, and we know we know that. <laughs> um, but what aside from that, what's the one reason why Collingwood should be favoured in this game? I, I I was surprised. I thought it would have been, should have been the other way around. Brisbane check double the amount of premiership standards as we've spoken about leading uh, into the final series. They've beaten them the last six times. They've beaten them obviously the last three under McRae. They've there's so many th- ticks that you give the lines, and so many edges you you have. They've just got they've just got the Brownlow medalist. It's like, what 
why should give me a reason why the Pies should be favoured in this game? It really, it I think it is the MCG factor, isn't it? That's that's kind of it's what it boils down to. Pies play there 16, 17 times a year, um, play it well, and the Lions don't play it well historically. So I, I think it makes sense. I guess you know if, if you're in charge of those those companies to to set those markets, I think you're probably looking at that. But you know what the bookies think and what the fans think are sometimes completely different. If you think the Lions should be favoured, then um, well, no, your not normally because it, it all align. Like eventually, if, if if they get it wrong, it'll it will adjust to what the the public is saying. But yeah, it, I'm surprised it hasn't shifted as, at all really since the those odds went up. Um, yeah, we'll talk about it the game later on and, and who we, we tip, but I think based off what I've just said there, you can kind of get a sense of what, what I'm thinking for that game already. <laughs> mm, fair enough. Uh, Christian, something that took your fancy? Yeah, just a quick one. Is, uh, as you're saying, first versus second in the grand final. First time we've seen top two teams in the grand final since 2014. Is that right? Yeah, so it's been uh, yeah almost nine or ten years since since we last had it. 2001 to 2014, it happened in seven of the 14 years. So it sort of used to happen every second year. Uh, as such, but yeah, haven't haven't seen it since 2014. Another quick one that sort of crossed our desk. We always get, uh, I think, queries from people sort of fishing and trying to get, um, you know, thinking they know the answer before they sort of get the table sent through. And uh, an interesting one that crossed um, our desk uh, recently last week was just asking about list turnover since 2014 to 2023 and how many players had basically left your club in that time. And I think it was more of a GWS slant of just GWS, how many players have had to cover since 2014 because we t- talk about it every offseason, how many yeah. players leave that club. Since 2014, they've had the fourth fewest players leave their club of any team. So 74 players. Since when, sorry? Since 2014. So a good nine or ten year uh, patch for them. So Richmond have had the fewest, Adelaide Bulldogs, and then GWS have basically had the fewest, yeah, but players leaving their list. So I I don't think the story was written in the end because it went completely the opposite way to what everyone was expecting. But, yeah, I think it's just a little bit of a a myth buster there that Mm. the GWS have had to put up with so many list changes year on year. They've done quite well. Yes, they lost some big names this year in Taranto and Hopper, but they didn't have a huge exodus in, in any year. They just sort of used the, lose the one or two top players that you sort of remember. We talked last week about how that midfield core is, would have be one of the most experienced in terms of games played together because they've been together for the better part of a decade. You know, sort of maybe Tom Green excluded, uh, given he's a bit younger. But, you know, Cornelio, Kelly, Whitfield, these guys that have, that have mm. well, grown up playing footy together. So obviously the chemistry's there and we'll talk about the Giants a little bit later. But um, that's yeah, a good one. that's a good one from you. Uh, <laughs> one that I noticed, um, so Jared Lyons was the sub for the Lions on the weekend. He also had a big week because he won the JJ Liston Trophy. Mm. So the VFL's best and fairest. So he's the best player in the VFL throughout the year. If he is sub or if he plays again this year, this week, and the Lions win... He could win the JJ Liston Trophy for the best reserves player for the year, and he could win an AFL Premiership medal. And he might, if he is the sub, he might not have to come on the ground. How often do you think that happened? Well, I looked it up, and well, we looked it up. Christian and I looked it up. It's happened once before, but it is a pretty rare feat. Who do you think it might be off the top of your head? Probably not something that was talked about last time. So, so a VFL best and fairest, and a Premiership player in the same year. In the AFL in the same year. Is it, has it happened recently, in the last 10 Semi, years? Yeah, in the last 10 years. Can you let me come back to this later in the episode? <laughs> I want to get no, through cause it. No, because I, I don't want to just pause here. Let me think for <laughs> well, Come back to me at the Have end. a think about it. Yeah, don't Google it. Yeah, that's Have a, a think about one. it. But yeah, that, someone who wins the, the VFL's best player and then plays it in the AFL flag as well. It's a good one. Anyway, 
Uh, we should uh, get back to the footy. So Collingwood back into the grand final five years after their last appearance. Um, they did it the hard way, though, against the Giants in front of another absolutely monstrous crowd. So four, th- uh, four crowds of 90,000 plus at the MCG this mm. final series. Oh, Jake. it's unreal. I mean, the AFL's obliged to, you know, even at the Brownlow last night. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a bit of, um, yeah, they're going to do that. But, but in all honesty, like the crowds have been phenomenal this final series. Yep. Really, really good. Full stadiums. And, and close great games atmosphere. too. Yeah. This That's one. what I mean. I feel like Gil had the right to gloat. Yeah, I, was sort no, of, exactly. I was on board with what he was saying in sort of, you know, uh, comparing the size of our city to some of the biggest ones and how, how many people we get to our sporting yep. events. And, you know, take, hate taking a dig at other things, but Rugby League struggled to fill their stadium on the weekend and we had, yeah, two full <laughs> stadiums for both games. Rugby League, Rugby Unions in shambles, I hear. Oh, geez, the Wallabies have not had a good time over in France, have they? Uh, look, so one point was the margin on Friday night and it was an absolute thriller. And, Jake, you and I were talking pre-pod about how I'd much rather watch a 58 to 57 thrilling contest that could go either way, right? well, from all the way through about halfway through the third quarter until the the very final siren instead of watching, you know, two teams go 140 to 120 and it ends up being a four-goal game. Um, it, was just a, yeah. it was just a, a quintessential preliminary final battle where these teams were just slogging it out. And look, the Pies, to their credit, they've won some games playing some electric footy this year and last year as well, um, but they were able to do it, you know, defensively this time around and just locked up contest after contest after they got back in the game. I think the Giants kicked five in a row at one point. Uh, the Pies worked themselves back into it and then just locked the, the, the game down. And the last two minutes in particular, just rolling malls, contest to contest. It looked like a game of rugby union. It looked mm. like the scrum and, and Collingwood just wanted to lock it up and eat away at the clock and they did it. And to be honest, I know it was close, but the Pies sort of didn't look like losing in that last minute or two. Yeah, the one that got me, and again, this is uh, not a numbers thing, but I was watching that last minute and a half just wondering, why are GWS tackling? I, yeah. I would try to instruct my players, don't dive on the ground, don't tackle the ball carrier when he's on the ground, just stand up and let the ball keep moving. But they sort of jumped on and, and sort of, Helped Collingwood lock it in by sort of mm. trying to tackle. I don't know if you're trying to win a free kick, and your you, your natural instinct is to go after. You know, if someone's getting the ball, I got to tackle him and be defensive. But there was no reason for GWS players to get on their hands and knees at all in that final minute, which I thought was a bit strange. But you talk about Collingwood sort of locking the game down and defensive. Um, yeah, so went for sixty, almost sixty-two minutes without scoring a goal in that game. It's the yeah. third longest drought in a winning final. So there's been a, a couple of other uh, finals. One, twenty seventeen. Uh, the Eagles ended up beating Port Adelaide. I think that was the extra time one mm. where they went uh, 67 minutes without scoring a goal. Sydney against G- uh, Geelong in 2005 semi-final. The Nick Davis one, they went 64 minutes without scoring a goal. And then Collingwood, yeah, able to shut the game down, as you said, 61 minutes without yeah, scoring. Interestingly, they kicked the first two in about five or six yeah, minutes. Yeah, looked ominous. Uh, I think Crisp kicked the second goal. At that point, so Nick Dacos had started on the bench and he came on after that second goal. And how long? They didn't get a goal for <laughs> an hour. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That's a bow to draw. Uh, Jordan Degoe, probably like the quintessential like star player stands up in a prelim. You talk about Kuda all those years ago, but like 13 clearances, uh, 34 disposals. He was He looms large uh, on grand final day. Doesn't he? he um, we've spoken on this podcast in the past about players in the league who probably have the biggest gap between their best and their worst game. Mm. You know, Shea Bolton springs to mind. Uh, Dugowie is that player. How, how he plays is going to be a massive uh, a massive question for Grand Final Day, and it'll determine how, the, in my mind, it'll determine how the game goes. He was phenomenal in the prelim. He really was. He set everything up. It, so we know he's going to win a lot of clearance and contested ball. It's when he's getting it on the outside as well and being able to link up, that's when he becomes so damaging as well. I mean, he's just... Yeah, he, he was phenomenal for the Pies. Well, his clearances led to scores, Christian. This is this is kind of the key 
part when you talk about the impact that a player can have bursting away from the from the clearance and from the stoppage. He had it. Yeah, and, and Collingwood sort of dominated that part of the game, plus 18 clearances was there, sort of their second best result this year and GWS's second worst result this year. But exactly, it's been able to turn those into scores. He was able to do that three times. Doesn't seem like a high number, but no one else did it more across the two preliminary finals at all. So in such a tight game where Collingwood did have that clearance domination, they needed to put some of it on the scoreboard and he was able to do that. What did you make of him not being able to get back onto the ground for the final eight minutes? It's a quirk of, of Australian rules football, isn't it, really? Um, you know, anytime there's a stoppage in, in association football, you know, you can you can get someone on or get someone off if you need to get an extra defender on or an extra attacker if, you, if you're trying to come back from behind. American football, the, the downs are on. Hockey, you can change at any time. Like, should, should, like are you sort of leading to... Leading me to sort of talk about should we change this? No, no, no. I think it's a, I think it's a, an interesting quirk that if I mean the, you if can, the ball gets locked at one end. Yeah, but you can, you can make a change. Of course, you you've can. just got but to not run hundred you? meters. You're not going to, you're not going to leave it to be seventeen versus eighteen for the forty-five seconds when you're up by a point yeah. with with a minute and a half to go. We, this is one of those things. It's like the score review that you only talk about when is when, um, when there's something that happens in the last two minutes of a game that might cost a team, but. The player management of how the, how you sub players in and out of the game or interchange them in and out of the game throughout mm. is the club has to be is meticulous with this sort of stuff. Unless you're North Melbourne against Sydney. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, but no, in all seriousness, like they just, um, I don't think people realise how much goes into it. Every player has almost timings of when they come off. Yep. A lot of people that follow, you know, super coach players and they they're watching a play, they know their patterns of when they come on and off the ground. It's very important, but having said that, like you say, there is a quirk where the ball gets stuck on the other side, and that all gets thrown out. And if it happens late in a game, what do you what do? You, what do you do? And yeah. you can't really do much about it unless you unless there's some messaging. To and the other thing is, if you're a player at half back and there's seven minutes to go and the score's tied, and you're not looking at the bench thinking, yeah, that's all. Oh, you, you we're going to get Dugowie back. Yeah, on. you used to be able to send the runner out to go and someone's here, but all you can do is hold up a side. And even if I'm a player and I want to be out there, I'm sort of glancing at that side and <laughs> pretending I didn't see that and just, <laughs> just keep yeah. looking away. So, yeah. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Um, just the pies again before we move on to the Giants briefly, but sort of stepping back and looking at the club as a whole and. And Rowan Connolly is going to write something on this in the lead up to the grand final for the website. You can find that espn.com.au forward slash AFL. But I guess the thing that interests me about Collingwood is, you know, legacy team from the VFL, big club, big supporter base, all this kind of stuff, and how they've been able to forge a culture of success in this 21st century where, you know, and I look at the direct comparisons of the teams that they're chasing for a 16th flag, Essendon and Carlton, and how they've floundered since the Bombers obviously won the 2000 uh, premiership. And how Collingwood have sort of adjusted and adapted, and they've, you know, they made those grand finals early in the century, and then they had a bit of a down period, and then they came back, and they they made, you know, prelims against Geelong that time, uh, where they had ninety seven thousand and a lockout, and then they won the flag in in twenty ten at the replay, and then they went down again, and then they were back up again with with Buckley, and they won, uh, well they, they well they won through the grand final in twenty eighteen, and almost pinched that, and then they have a little bit of a down patch, and then McRae comes in, you know, they've adjusted to modern footy so much better than these other legacy teams that kind of got got by on on history and, and arrogance and they're the best team of the last 20 25 years to have not had like a dynastic mm, run yeah multiple flags yeah i think that's undeniable and you can't you can't help but respect what they've been able to do and i know that the do better report obviously highlighted a lot of bad things about the club but they to their credit have addressed them you know moved on from maguire maybe a little bit late but but the hierarchy they have in place at the club now uh, and from all reports it's a great place to be so you can't help but respect the way that such a big legacy club that probably demanded a lot of 
you know, six or just demanded success back in the day, has been able to adjust to the AFL era. And I think that's a little bit understated or, or goes a little bit unnoticed because they have only won the one flag this century. But um, you got to you got to credit to them and, and credit McRae and the decision to bring in a quote unquote untested coach when. Um, you know, it would have been so easy to sort of go after another Malthouse type. Or, well, that's or... what I mean. I think that was the big call. They went from Malthouse into Nathan Buckley. So you've gone from legendary coach to legendary player yeah. of your club and sort of trying to get things right. And you talk about the do better report was coming out. Andy Maguire was sort of leaving. So it was a lot of legacy leave. It was very hard for them to make the call going, we're going to go with someone new. We're going to go with someone that no one has ever seen before. Yeah. No, he hasn't coached before and we're going to back him in. And, and they've done that and remained a big club and remained successful. Yeah, so fair play to them. Uh, the Giants, probably, I don't know, do we say overachieved? Oh, I think they, when you say overachieved, it's almost like know, a yeah, I know. backhanded compliment. But I, not, not many thought they could make an impact in finals, and they made a prelim and, and ultimately fell one point short, mm. uh, well, at least of forcing extra time. But they, they fell two points short of a, of a victory in a grand final berth in Adam yeah, Kingsley's well, first season. Yeah, in many ways, it's very similar to what Collingwood did the year before Yeah, um, with, a, with a new coach. Um, and falling short by one point in a preliminary final. Yeah. Um, Gee, the parallels are Yeah, spooky. no, but, they, but they, and I know a lot of people didn't expect them to be uh, the team that they were certainly in the back half of the year. Uh, the Giants were, all the talk was about Carlton and the run Carlton was on. The Giants' streak was equally as impressive from the buys onwards. Um, they're, they're, I wrote after the game, they're, they're set up for the future, the Giants. They really are. And I think, I give credit to Christian here again, because you can rewind back to, the, one of the first episodes we did this year, and Christian was very high on what he'd seen from them mm. um, in preseason, and just like the fact that you could identify what Adam Kingsley was trying to do with this team, uh, picking out players' strengths, and but I don't even know if you thought that they could. Well, reach and this again, point. you look at the numbers; it took a while for that sort of click into place. So from rounds one to twelve, they were good at moving the ball end to end, but sort of if you, again we're talking green, whites, and reds. They were white in a whole lot of other stats, just mid table. So that again, there was nothing disastrous about their game, but there was no other clear strength. So they weren't sort of, you know, scoring enough once they got it inside 50. They weren't sort of dominating clearances or contested possessions. But looking at round 13 onwards in terms of their their best period, and again, their numbers stack up very similar to what Brisbane have been across the whole season and the way they've got to a grand final by just sort of chipping away at the edges and just making sure that they're top six or seven in, yeah. in everything. They're, they're not bottom four or anything. Um, you know, there's a few stats that they sort of, you know, uh, ranked two or three in, but there was nothing that was clear dominance. And again, we'll talk about Carlton and Carlton put a lot of their eggs in the clearance basket and sort of the clearance game was really uh, important to them. GWS were able to do it from turnover, from clearances, from back half, from forward half. So it sort of showed, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of bit, parts of their game that sort of slowly improved in that second half of the season. So to your both of your points, the, we had our pass marks yarn from pre-season, Jake, which for the Giants was to find and stick to a Kingsley game plan. And I think that that sort of sums it up and, and look where it got them. Mm. What do they need to add in the off-season to take that next step? Well, I think they'll be hoping that um, a player that's just been forgotten about in the back half of the year, at least, Aaron Cadman, mm. number one draft pick, I think there's hope that he'll develop into a key forward that can lead this side. I mean, as great as Toby Green is, he's not a key forward. Um, Jesse Hogan played really well in the second half of the year. They can find someone to partner him, and then you've got players like um, Green and Daniels and uh, Bedford. Mm. All of a sudden, it becomes a really dangerous forward line. We've spoken about the midfield. The midfield's great. Defense is really solid as well. Sam Taylor might be the best. The emergence key of Connor Iden as a as a as a as a big rebounder. As well, Himmelberg as well yeah. played really well. Um, so yeah, I think there's, and the other one is Kieran Briggs. Like he's come in to the side out of nowhere, and like he's got claims to be to have had 
just about the most impact of any ruckman in the side in the league this year. So um, no, there's a lot to like about the Giants. Mm. Uh, well, the Lions as well. So this is uh, who they'll meet, and they roll into their first grand final in uh, in 20 years, really. So there were some nervous moments up at the Gabba where they haven't lost this year against the Blues. Things started pretty well for Carlton and their travelling contingent of fans, which was pretty noisy, to be fair. Well, okay, well, we got to talk about it. What what were you thinking at quarter time? Uh, I was trying to avoid any thoughts of the words grand and final in my head. <laughs> yeah, when I was uh, when I was walking out of the Gabba, there was a, uh, a a Carlton fan that was not too happy with one with another Carlton fan that was sitting in front of him that had messaged his friend at quarter time saying, "Get your grand final tickets." Oh, that's Jinxed it. Crap, isn't it? Yeah. What are you doing? He said, I was going to hit him. I was going to hit him. Just, just <laughs> punch him in the arm. Uh, yeah, but the Blues, they, they did come out like a house on fire. They came out like a team that, w- that was hungry and the Lions did start like a side that it had a, had a week off. Yeah, it um, well did. And then it ended it ended that way too. Uh, or maybe not the, the actual end, but the way the Lions kind of got the control of the game. And in the end, I think, look, we spoke about the Giants overachieving. Carlton, whether you want to call it overachieving or whatever, it's it, the same sort of thing. I don't mm. think anyone expected it. Both sides were bottom four midway through the year. So to get to where they got was pretty remarkable. Um, the fifth, the 16 points, I think it was, kind of flattered Carlton in the end, despite the, the five-goal uh, <laughs> head start that they gave the Lions. Um, but yeah, I think in the end, Carlton, just a, a few too many players under injury concerns and the yeah. two big finals, it's very just hard. Just like a bit of pace on the ball. And this is why we, we say it every year. It's very, it's so difficult to do a Bulldogs of 2016 and win four finals. Like, to be able to back up the the amount of it's not just the physical uh, the, the toll that it takes playing a final, but mentally as well to just mm. get up and go again. Like it's I don't think we 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 underestimate how tough that is. On well, these it was the quintessential. There's one team that had the week off, and yes, they might have started slow, but they finished so so much better. They look better for longer. They look fresher. They were well connected. They punished the turnover game. And yeah, it was sort of that quarter time, just before quarter time. And I think it was you that made mention of the like a, a contest that Harris Andrews had in the back line where it looked like Carlton was going to get another shot at goal, mm. put their sixth for the quarter on. And he somehow miraculously sort of taken the ball and, and strode away from the contest. And it kind of just stemmed the flow a little bit. Um, and then after quarter time, things changed really quickly and really remarkably. So, you know, Brisbane got a bit of ruck dominance going. I think their ground ball gets something. They probably haven't been as strong as other teams in most of the year. I thought they were they were pretty. They were first the ball a lot around the contest, yeah. um, and that's just such a hallmark of a team that's a bit fresher and 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 not as tired. And then it was you know they started to find outlets. So Kitty Coleman gets involved, and Connor McKenna, and those two are such good drivers of ball. And you know McKenna in particular is just one of those guys that. When he when he's dangerous, he's very dangerous because mm. he can be facing one way, but he can kick another. Yeah, he and just, it's not just across these... his body; it's the inside out ones, and yeah. it's the typical sort of Irish flair that you can kind of see. And and he and he and Coleman work so perfectly in just moving the ball quickly, which is what the Lions wanted to do. Uh, and then there were uncontested marks in the forward fifty. Yeah, and I thought a, a lot of it started with even just at the clearances. Uh, again, in the first quarter, Carlton was sort of slightly in front of the clearance. It wasn't complete domination from the clearances, but Brisbane were trying to match him, trying to get it out by handball and sort of not getting it too far out of the clearances and Carlton was trying to surge with handball as well. In that second quarter, there was just a few things that, especially Cam Rayner, where he was able just to mm. get a couple of ground balls, break a tackle and just kick the ball 40 metres and get it into now general play. And, went, and, and as I said, just sort of go from the clear, clearance or stoppage state of the game into the general play state of the game. And that's what Brisbane were able to do early in that second quarter. And that's where we were, they got Carlton exactly the speed on the ball and using the space and, and sort of outrunning Carlton to the next contest. So I thought even uh, Cam Rayner sort of, you know, 
people say he threatened to take the game apart. I think that just those two or three little kicks where he just got the ball out of the mm. stoppage area and into general play 50 metres away, it sort of put the game on on the Brisbane's terms. And you sort of talk about ball movement. First quarter lines, 46 kicks and 44 handballs. So, again, Carlton were very surgy with the handball and trying to keep everything in close, and, and Brisbane were getting sucked back into that. Q2, there were 63 kicks with 33 handballs. Q3, 67 kicks for 20 handballs. And then Q4, 54 kicks for 12 handballs. So worked it out into space. And again, that they had that Coleman and McKenna, you know, those beautiful kicks off half back. But then they're also being able to get it into the forward line, into space. So you look at the space in the forward 50 across the game. So Brisbane's uncontested possession rate in their forward 50, 48% of their possessions mm. were uncontested in their forward 50. Carlton's for the game was 31%. So again, when Carlton got it forward, there was Harris Andrews and Gardner fighting against Mackay and Kurnow and sort of having to win one-on-ones and ground balls. Whereas Brisbane, you saw those a couple of dump kicks early that Danaher was just playing in front and got got there. And then Hipwood and Cameron and, and guys like that being able to get hit up on the lead. I felt like, as a, again, as a Carlton supporter putting the Carlton hat on, we just could not find a leading player forward of the ball. A lot of our mm. kicks were on top of the heads of, of, yeah. of the forwards, whereas Brisbane were just able to get those three or four steps up and, and just hit, get those hit-up leads going. I want to ask you guys a question uh, without notice. What what letter grade are you giving Charlie Kerno's final series? A letter grade? Mm. Uh, C minus. Kicked a goal in every game but didn't. I think that's a little generous. I'm, okay. I'm, yeah, probably a C, C minus. And, but I wasn't surprised. Again, we go back and I sort of spoke about it. His home and away form was very, very good against bottom 10. Yep. And the way Carlton played against the top eight sides, it wasn't clean open forward lines for him. We, we played that high stoppage game and a, and a lot of bodies end up rolling forward with the ball. So, again, I don't know. Did the guys I, I know the all the talk 50. was about it – was, to me, it was a bonus. If Kerno had a big game, we were going to have a great chance to win. But I was never really putting my eggs in the in the Charlie Kerno basket the, the way everyone else was just because I hadn't really seen – he kicked the six against Collingwood earlier this season. But a lot of the other games, it is. It's, it's the work he's been doing up on the wing and, and sort of – Providing yep. that marking target when they're coming out of defence, him and Mackay mm. have been quite good at that. It is. It's about finding that connection when when Carlton come up against the top teams, working out a more dynamic way to get the ball forward to those key forwards. Can we put to bed the the Harry Mackay needs to go and be traded sort of nonsense and all that kind of stuff that we've started to see oh, around? He's so Im- yeah, well, he's, he's so, so important. important to Carlton's yeah. structure. He's important for the structure. He's very important for uh, Charlie as well, uh, although it may not have appeared that way uh, in that in the game against the Lions. No, I think that's ridiculous. Move on. Um, what does Carlton need to do? Similar question, I guess, about the Giants. Carlton needs... Um, I feel like Carlton has a bit of a problem that Melbourne had a few years ago where there's a few... And this is probably the same thing that I felt throughout the year, whether we were winning or losing. We. Um, <laughs> too many of the same type of player through the midfield. Hewitt, Kennedy, Cripps, yeah. Walsh even to an extent with his contested... I think that so Zach Williams is an interesting one. Mm. So he was brought in to be a midfielder. I don't know whether that was ever going to unfold, like in the true sense of he's going to be playing all game time through the midfield. But someone with someone that's just a difference maker in the sense that they provide something different. Look at the Lions. You look at Brisbane's sort of five main midfielders, they all do something different. Um, I feel like that's where Carlton's concern is at the moment need a bit more pace, pace. through the midfield um and just a difference maker just, there's there's one guy that's playing this weekend that i've sort of been throwing around I'm not saying i want him at carlton but sort of a similar pickup oleg markov at collingwood sort of at richmond and gold coast for however many years he just couldn't get a game couldn't consolidate a spot on the list mm. but he had the one strength that collingwood knew that they probably wanted and it was the run pace. It was that, that yep. just straight out run and you give him a simple role and, and get him to play that role 
I feel like Carlton are one or two players away as well. And they went to the draft. I think, I mean, Holly Hollands is a freak runner. I think he's got a little bit of speed, but I think Jackson Bins and Lockie Cowan were their other two selections, uh, sort of, you know, midfield selections in last year's draft. And I know they took Sam Philp a few years ago and mm. he's had a lot of injury problems. So they're trying to find that leg speed from the draft. But again, maybe it is just trying to find just a, a lower value player that sort of just comes yeah. in and just exactly that, just provides that outside run. We don't need you to do anything else, but sort of come off the back of the stoppage and provide that run. So yeah, it doesn't feel like they're too far away, but again, it was, it is, it's, it's whether you think about the speed of the game, a clearance, a stoppage game, when the ball stopped, you know, goes out of bounds or it's thrown up in out of ball up, everyone sort of stopped and everyone's in stationary position and Carlton were able to, as I said, when, when they were dominating, they were plus 219 points from clearances and, and dominating from that way. But they almost broke even in turnovers in that time. I think they were plus 30 or 40 points um, when they won 10 games in a row from turnover. That's where the game is. Once you turn the ball over, everyone's already moving and on the spread and trying to sort of keep up with each other. And that's where they they sort of, yeah, fell down this year. And again, looking at percentage of scores, um, I think they had the lowest percentage of scores from turnovers of any team. I think only West Coast was lower. So all Carlton scores came from clearances. You just compare. So you, you, a team usually wins 38 clearances per game, but they win 68 intercepts per game. So you've almost got almost twice the amount of opportunity to score from turnover mm. than you do from clearance. You need to fix that part of your game yeah. to take the next step. Interesting I, I think def- defensively as well. I mean, Jacob Wiedering was sensational, but I think they're... Pr- so Lewis Young didn't quite pan out as expected. Caleb Marchbank, I just don't think is a player that's going to be in Carlton's best side Camp was dropped forward. from the side. So Yeah, so I think just finding... I still think the Blues are unsure who the best back six is moving forward. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, good thing is, I, f- I feel like they've got a bit of time. I think their window's just starting to open. Well, that's the that's the beauty. I mean, Carlton's the majority of Carlton's top players are all, you know, 26 or younger. Yeah. Uh, ooh, Saturday afternoon at the G, we're back. Red Bull football. Grand final, 28 degrees. <laughs> uh, it's... Um, it's all culminating into what will be the two best teams from the year going going head-to-head in the grand final. And, look, there's a lot to discuss. I don't know really where to start, but maybe we look at potential changes because there are going to be some, and there are going to be some stiff players. There are going to be some injured players that miss out, and maybe that's a conversation for a little bit later about premiership medallions before mm-hmm. everyone turns off. Um, but Jack Payne, if he doesn't get up, I think Gardner showed that he can absolutely play that role for the Lions and, and play it really well. But well, has to. If yeah. Payne gets up, what do you do? Well, I think it's a straight swap. You'd 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 make the change. I don't think they. Well, I don't think you're going to play those two and Harris Andrews as well. I think it's just two of them, and I think it would be Payne coming back in for Gardner. I mean, Gardner played. Was it two games he's played this year? Yeah. Two losses as well before the. Um, before no, <laughs> yeah, not yeah, not no, to no. say, but two losses yeah. before the um before the prelim. He played pretty well against the Blues. I'm not saying he didn't play well. Had a but goal robbed, I'm pretty sure, as well. What are you going to do? So you're going to say, oh, well, he, this guy's played one good game. You played well all season. Sorry, we're going with him. Yeah. You're, you're saying that they hit, they should all all three of them should no, play? No, 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 no. I think you just go with the, the same lineup that won you a preliminary final, if you can. And I, I, again, looking at the, the, the team they're playing, it's probably Collingwood's out helps them Absolutely a little bit. It I does. mean, Dan McStay is probably you know, going to be the one that's Collingwood's sort of... a medium forward sort of forward So you're line. not playing pain. No, well, it depends how how close he is. This is the thing, right? So he was he was looking a little better jogging this morning. I saw some vision of him on the track. This is Tuesday yeah, morning. Just I want to say if he's got to be one hundred percent fit because I'm not oh, a believer okay. in taking players in that are only eighty yeah, percent. The Max Holmes rule. Yeah, he's got to be one hundred percent fit. So I'm saying if if he was a, if we know right now he's one hundred percent fit. He's playing. Yeah, he's playing. Yeah, yeah. But he's not. This is the this yeah. is the thing, okay. right? So, no, sorry. so I, I pain thought... at eighty percent as opposed to Gardner at one hundred. Right. Okay. Well, that's a bit different question. 
And you've got it, but but that's Taylor the thing. Adams. Taylor Adams at 90, 80%. This is the thing. And this is why you need a the players, you need the honesty from them to say, because it's the player that knows how they're going. The doctors and physios. Like Presta Giacomo all those years ago that put his hand yeah, up and said, so I'm I not can't, fit. I can't go. Yeah. And, and again, I hate sort of throwing people under the bus, but probably one player that didn't do it the opposite way was Phil Davis in the GWS yes. Richmond year, yep. where he was he doing, he was doing fitness tests before yep. the game and everyone could see, you can't run. Yeah. But again, he just he wanted to push through it and sort of play and, and yeah yeah and, and it's uh, selfish is a is a strong word but it it really is because it you you were you're either going to get subbed out of the game or have yep. no impact and you're letting your teammates down yeah so Dan McStay is the other one so the heartbreaking situation yeah it is every year there's one it's Dan McStay against this year. his old team as well would have been a, a hell of a story for grand final so, week so what does he like what does he want to happen. What's he? What's going through his mind on Grand Final Day? He's, so his team, his current teammates, he wants a team to win. He wants yeah, to, he's uh, one, he's, he's yeah. wants uh, sure to win. he wants his team to win, but it's just like you, you've you've. It's just a it's internally almost a lose lose situation. It's like yeah. well, if my team wins, I, I they are celebrating. I don't get to be part of it. Yeah. And if my old side wins, it's like well, what could have been? Oh yeah, I could have stayed, and, and you know the butterfly effect yes. doesn't get injured. So, so it's, it's very strange, isn't it? So Taylor Adams pro- probably potentially. Is a straight swap. I mean, I know you're probably sacrificing one tall, but who are you bringing in otherwise? Billy Frampton? Um, you know, uh, Lipinski didn't have a great game on the weekend as well. No. So the other one, again, this Ginevan is thrown throw up to me in the office. Maybe Will Hoskin Elliott. So if, if Adams doesn't get up and McStay doesn't get up, Will Hoskin Elliott may be back into the forward line and Noble oh. back into the halfback oh. line. Only because, again, that's going based on games play. They're the guys that yeah. you've usually backed. So Noble's probably the one that's Oscar sort of had a year, a, couple, a few years back where he was kicking, he kicked 30 goals, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, in the last three or four weeks yeah. he's been, he's provided that sort of different Defensive. sort of run, yeah, from, from behind the ball, but Gee, whether they change it up that way. But it, just talk about Dan McStay, I mean, he's only kicked the four goals across the two finals. That's 25% of Collingwood's scores um, that he's been out there. He's been involved in 62, oh sorry, when he's got the ball 62% of the time, it's resulted in a Collingwood score. Um, and he's been sort of n- number one for them in scoreboard impact across the finals with uh, I think it was 37 points across the two games from his goals and assists. So he has been sort of a big factor in in terms of we talked about Collingwood getting a low score and winning based on defence. They they do need they, couple you know, a guy to kick a couple of goals up forward for him. And so the Lions are a, a bit of a, a higher scoring team, especially the, compared to the Pies in the last well in finals really. So the Pies um, nine goals and eight goals in their two finals. You just sort of see that as being hard to cut it about kicking a winning score against mm. the Lions, right? The Lions also have four. I mean, you said it earlier. So, so the past six they've won between these teams. None of those at the G, though. Interestingly, so yeah. the last time they played at the G, twenty seventeen. Yeah, it's a long time. Yeah, they played at Marvel, right? So they played they... at Marvel a few times. So, um, so there's a couple of factors there that that I guess probably look in Brisbane's favour. But as we mentioned before about the prelims, so Collingwood have this ability, even if they can't score for patches of the game, to just lock things down and, and make it a really defensive tussle. So across their two finals, they've again we spoke about the Melbourne final where they had. 30 few entries and still hold on at one. So across the two finals, they've conceded a score from 29% entries. Comp average is about 44%. So hmm. if you look at a two-game period this year, it's the fourth best two-game period um, of any team, including sort of, I think one of the ones was when Sydney got to play West Coast one week and, and smash someone else the next week. But yeah, again, it's just been a really dour defensive effort by Collingwood behind the ball. Uh, Brisbane swept the pies this season. So one, obviously, Easter Thursday, uh, I think that was a four-goal win and then a five-goal win towards the end of the year when it was at Marvel, but they had a heap of outs the pies. I think yep. it was uh, more Degoe, Dacos. Dacos and uh, Bobby Hill, I think, didn't play as well. So Murphy, maybe? Yeah, there, yeah. Was a, there was quite a few of them that didn't play. 
So that was kind of like the Pies had kind of wrapped up a top two yeah. spot. The Lions were still fighting with Port for a top two spot. So you can't really, I guess, read too much into that. Mm-hmm. How do the Pies go about winning this? Well, again, I, the one I read, you said you can't read too much into it, but the one that does get me you is, are. again, Coll- <laughs> well, again, Collingwood has, has been number one defensively all season long. And, and you spoke, even earlier in the podcast, you spoke about their dynamic ball movement. I think that's what they based their game on last year. I think this year it's been all about defense. It's been pretty good ball movement and, and things like that. But again, it, it's basically been... They've been one of the hardest teams to score against and they just do enough in the offensive end to get the job done. Whereas the Lions in their two games this year, so you talk about all the outs that Collingwood had in that round 23 game. The Lions put 124 points on the scoreboard against them, which is the most of anyone this year. And you go back to round four early in the season, it was 116 points that Brisbane scored. That's the second most Collingwood's conceded in a game this year. So Jeez. again, you, you talk about personnel and things like that, but again, Brisbane's offensive sort of threats have sort of been able to grab hold of Collingwood in the past two in the past three games. If you look at it under Craig McRae, so again looking at Craig McRae and his points conceded to teams he's played against, he's conceded 113 points per game in his three games against the Lions. Next most any team is 96 and a half to Geelong uh, in four games that he's coached against them, and then the Bulldogs are at 88 points per game. He's conceded in in two games against the Bulldogs. So the Lions have. Really done it three times in a row, open them up, um, you know, open Collingwood up defensively. So I guess the kind of similar to how, so Carlton making it a bit of a contested slog around the contest, high pressure in that first quarter. The Lions are going to try and want to do what they did against the Blues and open it up a bit. Yeah, and I think, again, go look at, at Collingwood's point of view, that 18 clearance uh, domination against GWS, they're going to have to have some sort they're, they're not a dominant clearance team. They're often, often in the negative for clearances and get you on the sort of on the counterattack. But yeah, they're probably going to have to get that first juice and try to keep the ball in their forward line again. I I, I can't see them defending 55 entries and conceding a score 29% of the time like they've done against Melbourne mm. um, and the Giants. I think Brisbane just have that that offensive threat, but they've also got the offensive setup where they don't allow their forward line to get too crowded. They, mm. they, they do like to hit their forward line open, get the ball in quickly, so... Uh, one player I'm expecting big things from is Charlie Cameron. So I had a bit of a wasteful got his, prelim. Got his poor game out of the way. Yeah, you're hoping, well, for, for Brisbane's sake, you kind of hope that he can impact a grand final the way that we know he it can. It wasn't bad. It was just wasteful. Yeah. like he, like A couple of weird decisions, like the the one that hit the belly of the ball on right on halftime, was it? Um, yeah, and, and just sort of was in his own head, it seemed, at times. So mm. hopefully he can clear that and... Uh, and and show I guess the competition what he can do on the big stage. Yeah. So um, he, so he's obviously played. There aren't many lines that have played a grand, in a grand final. So he's played in one hmm? uh, with the Crows. Lockie Neal has played in one as the sub. That's right for Frio. Um, and Josh Dunkley's played in two for just, the Bulldogs. Just and on. I think that's it from the team that will line up. Uh, or yeah, Gunston's in the squad. Uh, yeah, good point. Yeah, there might be a couple that are in the so. You were talking so after the game on on Saturday night. You were talking to Lockie Neal, good Brownlow luck for him. Um, yeah. But you were talking about Dunkley and just his importance as a two way runner. Yeah. Well, I asked him. I, I I said just can you just explain how valuable he has become for your midfield this year and and he said I mean teammates so probably giving him a little <laughs> bit of extra love but he said he thinks he's the best two way runner in the game two way midfielder in the game so he had a pretty decent day on Cripps. he probably think he goes to Dagoe yeah he he's done it twice now both times um he's played against uh Carlton he just towered up Cripps. but mm. it's he has the ability to lock down on a on the opposition's best player but also win, he had more one more contested ball than any player on the ground dunkley as well against Carlton so I think he does. I really think he will go to Dugowie. Um 
I now I don't know if that's happened in the past. I don't know if, if he's really done that in the past. Yeah, again, the goalie probably hasn't played as much midfield. midfield yeah, time, so that so this is the interesting. Seen it, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how they what they do there. But I think he is going to be, um, he's their most he's going to be their most impactful player, Dugowie. Yeah. I think we Dacos is going to do what he does. Um, they need to they they can't just let him roam free and and get forty and and kick kick his way down the ground. But I think. Go is the line breaker and the one that we saw 13 clearances. And that's mm. what Dunkley was really good at with Cripps, just limiting his clearances and getting the ball out first hands on the ball. I think if you can do that to Dugowie, they go, it goes a long way to winning. Anything else from this game looking forward that we can sort of read into or, or take some take some notes from? Well, again, a little one, and this probably goes back to Jake's point about looking at the the odds and, and why, you know, Collingwood are favourites, and again, these numbers sort of sort of point to Brisbane as well. So, if we, we talk about premiership standards across the year, so we locked them off at the end of the home and away season. That that was the premiership standards from three weeks ago. So, the stats that you were that were ten out of ten for the past few premiers, which were things like points against, points against from turnover, uh, opposition forward half points, uh, defensive fifty to inside fifty ball movement, inside fifty differential, and time in forward half. They're the six stats you sort of need to be. Top six in Brisbane was six out of six in those six stats, and Collingwood were five out of six in those uh, six stats. The only one they weren't, they were eighth for time in forward half, so not sort of able to make the ball live in their forward half. But looking at rounds twenty to twenty-seven, as I said, we cut the the premiership standards off at round twenty-four. Oh, so, but but if we you include finals. Yeah, so yeah. But if you look at round twenty to twenty-seven, just recent form and 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 how they stack up, Brisbane are still five of six in in ten um, in those ten stats. So the other the one that they're sort of out of against is points against their eighth, so they considered. Uh, the eight fewest points against since round 20, which doesn't quite make it to the top six. Collingwood in that time is zero out of six. And really? their rankings for the fault. So points against their ninth, points against from turnover ninth. Opposite, again, you want to be top six. Opposition forward half points 11th. Uh, defensive 50 to inside 50 ball movement, they're 18th. Inside wow. 50 differential, they're 14th. And time in forward half is 13th. So again, when you sort of pull up a, a recent report and trying to look at recent form for these teams, all the indicators point to Brisbane. But... Again, you look, and then They're you look at the, with the bookies. Yeah, and then you look at the the one other stat. It's the the MCG ladder, probably since twenty nineteen. Collingwood sixty two percent win rate at the MCG since twenty nineteen. The third best of any team, so only Geelong and Richmond above them. Brisbane, obviously, just the one win from their uh, I think it's eleven games in that time. So um, yeah, just an eleven percent win rate, which is the third worst of any team. Jake, anything to add? I know you were. Um Oh, he's covered everything. He's he's got all the numbers there. No, it, it's it's going to be a great game. I are we going to give a prediction? Yeah, go for a tip. Uh, tip and a Norm Smith. Well, I think I was pretty clear off the top. I think it's Brisbane's. I really do. Like I think going into the year, there were probably I probably wasn't the only one that was still a bit. I know they what they did the previous year. They sort of shook off that September mm. uh, nonsense. But I think they've become a much better team this year. They've become a, a, a side that can win. Yeah, away from they've home. tinkered and they've tinkered in the right areas, and it, it's it looks like it's falling into place. Yeah, and I think their scoring power might be too much for the Pies. Yeah, I also think a factor that's not getting spoken about much is it's going to be 27, 28 degrees on Grand I Final. I just mentioned day. it before. Oh, did you? Sorry, yeah. I must have been uh, doing something else. Goodness. Uh, yeah, no, that that is it's a <laughs> significant um, advantage that they have. Brisbane-like weather. It is. I okay. mean, how many times this year would Collingwood have played anywhere near that kind? Of, like, you got yeah. to go back to Feb in in preseason. <laughs> so it's it's a it's a climate that um, I think that has a bigger impact than the ground. Okay, like, I'm dead so serious. So Lions by Lions are going to win it by 14 points. Um, and 
I don't want to say Lockie Neal for the Norm Smith. I know he probably, if they win, he probably will get it. Um, so it's I, not I, a midfielders award, unlike the Brownlow. I'm going to say Dunkley. Wow. Because I reckon that if they win, I think Dunkley needs to be one of their best. It, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go Dunkley. Uh, Christian. Yeah, I haven't settled on a tip yet. Again, I'm probably leading towards Brisbane because all the numbers say so. But yep. again, the one thing I do look at, and sort of spoke about this with my son, the, the six wins in a row for Brisbane almost helped Collingwood. So Collingwood have got the evidence to look back on what do we what need do we to need fix. To change? Whereas yeah. Brisbane look at, exactly, Brisbane go back to that round 23 game well, and look at it and go, well, Collingwood don't look like that anymore. It's a different team. So it's sort yeah. of hard. It's probably easier to, for Collingwood to plan Are a... the sign's too good for the Lions? Yeah, and it's almost like Collingwood, it's easier for them to plan a sort of a raid or to do something different because of the thing. Um, but yeah, at the moment, Brisbane by 12, and I'm probably barracking for Connor McKenna to win a Norm Smith wow. medal. I've, I've always enjoyed his his game and the way he played, a, and it was, it was tough to see him do it against Carlton, but... I've been waiting for his comeback game where he sort of yeah shows us a little bit of the Gaelic skill, which he did last week. Fair enough. Uh, to your point, I think that the Lions have shown they can adjust mid-game. So I think if they do get thrown something that's a little bit different, I just I think, to your point before, Jake, they are a more complete team than they've probably been at any time throughout this the window being open. Um, and, and your numbers have kind of cemented it for me that I think it's the Lions by, you're right, I think they can probably kick, you know, 90, 88, 92 points. Uh, and, and Collingwood, you know, mixed day out, maybe they kick sort of 72, so maybe 10 to 15 to 20 points. So let's say 15. Brisbane by 15. And a Norm Gee, Smith. We're all, we're all on the lines. Uh, Charlie Cameron. Well, he's going to have to kick. How many does he need to kick? Probably to four, yeah. Well, we he had ca- four he scoring shots on the he weekend. He seven against the Giants, and Lucky Neil still votes. got the three votes. So, <laughs> yeah, lucky the umpires aren't voting on it. Oh, dear. Uh, we're going to do a, a post-grand final wrap on Sunday, too. We'll get that up pretty soon after the grand final. So do stick around for that. Uh, if you have any questions for us at all, make sure you get them in on grand final night. We'll try and get them to Christian right away. But there are a question, couple of questions that have come through. So at Footy Tips, can you get... Champion data to check if there's a relationship between pressure factor and X score. Does more pressure impact accuracy? Uh, again, so your X score does include the pressure on the shot anyway. So we are taking into account how much pressure each shot is under. So you're going to have a lower expected score if all your shots are coming under pressure. Again, you could probably go one step back and look at does the pressure factor across a midfield and defence affect the shots up in the forward 50, which I've sort of had a look into. But again, it's... When, when we're taking into account pressure on the shot anyway, I think, as I said, it, it already comes into the expected scores formula. Fair enough. And the other one we have, question for the pod, can we get the average percentage of times scored per inside 50 for each additional inside 50? So we're talking about repeat entries here. So is you, are you more likely to score if you get more repeat entries into your forward 50? Yeah, and we sort of spoke about this, I reckon, last year on the pod, um, looking at sort of two ways. The repeat entries um, lower your chance to score and also you're more chance to score if you get a... If you get an inside 50 from your back 50, starting from your back 50, you're more likely to score than if you get an inside 50 starting from your attacking midfield just because of the usually well, the, amount of, right? yeah, the amount of people there. So I enjoyed this question. So, yeah, the first entry that you, if you go inside and, and you're able to score from 44% of your initial entries, uh, on your second entry that drops to 43%, third entry 42%. Uh, fourth entry, 41%, and your fifth entry is 40%. So it drops almost one or one and a wow. half. You know, I've, I've ran it up a few times, but it drops about one to 1.5% for every repeat entry. And we've spoken about it before, and you hear the commentators say this, they've had all the play, but the other team's the one that sort of scores next. Yeah. Again, it's because all the congestion gets sort of sucked down there. And Being then if you're able to go end-to-end, end, as I said, that's the most one of the most valuable 50s you can get is one that starts from your defensive 50. Usually you see that happen against the team and, and that's when you see the goals that are kicked against the flow of play. 
Good stuff. Uh, we're getting into red time of this podcast brought to you by Subway, which means it's time for is the hype justified or is it hyperbole? Jake, Ticket Tech needs a massive boot up the ass from the AFL. It hasn't been a great three or four months for Ticket Tech, has it? No. As a, as a Taylor Swift fan as well, I can tell you for sure that uh, you being in their tickets? virtual queue. No, I did not. But they I said I was in the queue. Tickets. I was in the waiting room. But there's no way to know where you are in the queue. There's no way to know uh, what's going on. I think Ticket Tech is... shambles. Uh, yeah, it was a total shambles there, a debacle this week with the grand final ticketing. The fact they're charging, you you are probably more across this than I am, but because you, you were telling me what the, the, yeah. the process was for the ballot, I didn't realise you have to pay. It's a non-refundable service fee. That, that's But what service are you getting? A place in the ballot potentially, but so you six, shouldn't be six paying bucks, for that. roughly. And it's if you're a member that's eligible, you got to pay the six bucks to be in the ballot. Um, and if you do this uh, prior to preliminary final weekend, so that's four club mem- four sets of club members that pay this mob. You know, I don't know what the math is. I'm, I'm a journalist for a reason, but you know, six bucks times let's say two hundred thousand, like comfortably members. What's that? One point two. Oh, which is not bad for not doing much at all. And then on top of that, they they got priority one members of of Collingwood completely missing out on finals, despite yeah. the fact they're forking out fifteen hundred dollars a year. Look, the process cool. is it's it's um it's not transparent at all. And honestly, after the last sort of six months, they need to do a lot of work into making the uh, the process a lot simpler to understand, especially for like older people. You know, those that might not be able to um, stand, you know, so they have to untick standing room mm. and all this kind of stuff. So, look, Ticketek have had an absolute mare, and things need to get better pretty quickly. And I think Andrew Dillon needs to get on the phone and say, "Look, you guys need to improve because we're using so you, much, and you're so making a lot of thing. money." So, how much influence or can the AFL have? It's a great question. I don't think any. What's, what's, what are they going to say? Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Well, the AFL has its own issues, so they are getting under fire for the sort of like the allocation of tickets as well. So, you know, talk, talking corporates and all that kind of yeah. stuff, and our club members only get seventeen thousand seats each for the grand final. So. You know, would you do something about that as well? Would you Would you start to look at the fact that you've got 90,000 plus crowds coming in, so you're making pretty decent coin, new broadcast dealers come in. Do you think you could potentially afford to, to hand out fewer corporate seats and give more back to the fans? Uh, I think so. I mean, I think we've spoken about this for quite a while, that it's probably the biggest yeah. downer of the grand final. Yeah. Um, you, you know, the two prelims that we saw, the crowds were excellent, mm. and then you kind of get to the grand final, and it's a bit, yeah. But um, <laughs> will that happen? Probably not. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, every player that suits up during the year should get a premiership medallion. No. Where do you I, draw? Do you draw the line somewhere? Are you happy with the game day twenty three? Yes, I, I, I think like this is how it's been. This Dan is how it is. Um, Jack Payne. That's that's the one you, where I've, we, and I'm, I've been big on this. I've been saying no for years. I think only the twenty three get it. I can meet you halfway. Maybe if you play in the finals, you can get a medal. Okay, yeah. But I don't think it's for anyone that's played. John Noble stiff. Year. Well, he Wait, did he play the first uh, final? No, no he didn't. Yeah, he was left out from then, yeah. Jeez, Johnny Noble would be stiff. I think he deserves a premiership medallion. He's He's been instrumental in their premiership, uh, well, if they win. Uh, he's been instrumental in their in their run. Well, I'm not saying he, he hasn't been, but so what do you want? You want everyone in the squad no, to get one? I don't think so. No, I don't See, think so. See, it's got to be one or the other. It's, well, it, hey, I the think the question it's... is hyperbole or, or high. I think yeah. it's somewhere in between, like Christian says. There's, there's, a, there's a happy the middle between? ground. Oh, we can pick. Two players, give one no, a noble, give one the five, five or ten games throughout the year, or you play in finals. I mean, there's there's ways to do it, but nah. the American, oh. I think NBA champions do it. They obviously yeah. have play, play, people come through their squad and leave, and they choose. Their, yeah, sometimes they do give a, a ring to that's someone ridiculous. that's played, but but sometimes they do. They'll give it to someone that's played ten games and won't give it to someone that's played twenty games, just based on how the management feels. They've you know we got to wrap who, things who up. One. Uh, the Lions should roll the dice on Jack Gunston at the MCG this week. Oh, a little bit again, just something different. Just to me, I'm. Just 
just looking at again the only reason Collingwood were saying a favourites is because of that uh, that uh, record at the MCG. He's played 102 games there, 60 wins, kicked 190 odd goals there. I think it's worth a look just oh. just for the MCG experience. I don't think it's going to happen, and you know, there's going to be much smarter people than me making that decision, but. I'd be tempted, to, you know, again, I don't know if Daniel Rich is fit, but I wouldn't be looking at Daniel Rich and changing anything in the back half. But maybe Jack Gunston mm. as a sub or just starting to play for half as a, you know, in the forward How line. valuable is having a player like him, whether he plays or not, just on the list going into this game? Yeah, that's a good point. Having that premiership experience yeah. um, and obviously a veteran of many years and a cool, calm, collected head. I mean, it was probably the same when they brought Luke Hodge in, right? The other thing with Gunston, I know it's a different part of his career, but he, off, off the top of my head, I reckon he'd kick five in... Five and a four in a grand final, and in two different grand finals. He's, he's won he's, three, and they've all been at that venue. So yeah. So he's, he's get him in. It's not like he's um, shied away from the occasion. Yeah. Uh, uh, last one before we wrap things up. Sam Walsh has done enough to win the Gary Ayres Award for best player in finals. Yeah. So through two weeks, he had eighteen votes. Tom Green was the next highest on twelve, and he played pretty well in the prelim. And we haven't seen the votes from that yet. Yeah, I. Could be wrong, but I don't think they will they show the votes until, until after the grand yeah. final. But bear in mind, grand final votes count 1.5 times. Oh, of course they do. Um, ah, so what do you think? So he's, he's quite comfortably out the out in front. Yeah. So I think, I think for him to not win it, someone like Dugowie, yeah. who you think would have got ten, would need to be getting eight, eight or ten, and then getting the the yep. little bonus uh, to beat him. Uh, yeah, I think he he has been. But is that? Is that the problem with the award? And I, look, I think Sam Walsh has been fantastic. But Played can you be the best finals? player in a, in a final in the final series if be. you didn't even play in the grand final? It's been a. It's been a. Uh, you talk about Charlie Kerno. It's been a, um, a legacy enhancing. I know we're talking about legacy about a twenty-two year old or whatever he is, but it's been oh, a yeah. legacy enhancing final series from Walsh. Yeah, it has. No, but I, I totally agree. I think he's been. Be- I think he's be- went best on ground, best on ground, and. Well, I don't know where he ranked in, in the Brisbane game. He was Carlton's best player. And, yeah, that's just... Yeah. Okay. We need to wrap things up there. Jeez. Uh, At Footy Tips on Twitter, as I said, uh, big grand final week. If you want to get some questions Massive. in, make sure you get them in um, by the end of the night so we can get them to Christian before we record on Sunday. Uh Lots been, of good content too. Yeah, heaps of content on the website. So ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL. There's a lot coming. Uh, we've got Roco, we've got Jake, um, we've got you know, videos, we've got audio, we've got a whole bunch of stuff. So, look, it's been fun. We'll uh, we'll be back, uh, as I said, on Sunday. But in the meantime, if you are a Pies or a Lions fan, hope your team wins. Best of luck. Best of luck. Uh, wish my, my team was there. But um, it's always one of the best <laughs> hey, weeks of footy. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we'll speak to you in the next one. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.